We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because, well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nah. Hello and welcome to a sleepy episode of the Brew Hoop podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, recuperating after this long, long, incredibly never-ending week of, of West Coast games for the Milwaukee Bucks with their late tip times, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock on the East Coast out here. I'm joined by Riley Feldman today. Kyle Carr can't join us as he's uh, dealing with um, the arrival of his new son, Sterling. Congratulations to Kyle. And I can't even imagine how much sleepier he is than us, Riley. Yeah, he uh, the usual weekly inside baseball, he was sending us messages at 3 a.m. And it sounded like not a complete disaster, but not a situation I envy him being in. So totally understandable why he's not here this morning. And uh, hopefully... Our dulcet tones when he's listening to the podcast later will help lull him to sleep, though I'm sure he won't need our help to get there. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Well, it's been a couple weeks since we recorded. Uh, certainly things have carried on as per usual for the Milwaukee Bucks. Plenty of wins while also dropping a couple games that we can certainly talk about, I believe. I can't remember if we haven't recorded before Christmas, and I can't remember whether we were talking smack about the Sixers. Pretty sure I did. And a hundred percent, but yeah, a hundred percent. I deleted the podcast immediately. As soon as, <laughs> as, soon as I it got to halftime, I was like, we're just going to delete that and pretend that never happening. And which I think is, it's good that we're somewhat a smaller podcast. Cause that means any takes we make here, it like reaches dozens of people. And that those are the only people know what kind of like idiots we make ourselves out to be. So that, <laughs> that podcast did not age well. No, like most podcasts, it seems. Yeah, that is, that is true. Aged, aged quite horribly, especially by halftime. Tried tried my hardest to make things turn around at half. You know, dude, you know, rally hat, all those kind of things, but just didn't work out. But uh, anything else uh, from the past couple of weeks, Riley? Any holiday highlights you wanted to share? Not too much. So we were back uh, in southeast Wisconsin, and that was fine. We were there for like a week, which gave me enough time to see pretty much everybody. The one highlight that I do have is uh, Catherine, my wonderful fiance. She did get me a concise atlas, and it's the complete opposite of concise. Things got away like 20-some-odd pounds. Uh, I, I was really big into the atlas that I had as a kid, and so for a long time she had apparently considered that as like a – a secret gift to go for so it was awesome for her to give me for christmas so besides that it's just kind of been cold as hell here in minneapolis and uh you know whatever bucks winning so those are my highlights how about you yeah pr- pretty similar drove down to charleston as i said before uh it was with my, my wife's family hung out with them interestingly the one of my one of my wife's cousins had fireworks and they live on a golf course so they went out <laughs> we went out christmas night and shot some fireworks off um Never done that on Christmas before, so that was interesting. And uh, <laughs> Jesus would have done the same, so it feels right. <laughs> yeah, yes, a hundred percent. There were uh, they were shooting bottle rockets above the manger, and um, <laughs> yeah. But then uh, I don't know. New Year's Day is a huge. I don't know if New Year's Day is a big thing. I always liked it because I had football and stuff. But New Year's Day is like a huge thing in Philadelphia. They have a parade that lasts all day. Uh, you can 
drink openly in the streets. I know it sounds like you can do that all the time out here. I was going to say, is, like, was yeah. that really all that different from all the other days of the year? It's uh, this one is a, a true day where you know the cops are out and they're watching this huge parade that's going on. Um, but so yeah, so that was a that was a fun day as per usual. Got people over and then went and hung out and watched the parade. But other than that, not a whole lot. And seemingly business as per usual for the Milwaukee Bucks as well. I think we're going to cover some of the games that we may have missed from the past couple of weeks. But most importantly, we're going to discuss this last past week's slate of games, which started, of course, with the 126 to 104 loss against the San Antonio Spurs. That was, of course, coming after the Milwaukee Bucks were able to beat the Spurs uh, in the Pfizer Forum the Saturday previously. Uh, this one was a difficult one to watch almost from the start. The San Antonio Spurs were incredibly hot from deep in sort of the continuing trend of what we've seen from when the Milwaukee Bucks lose this year. Bucks don't shoot very well from deep. Their opponent has it really, really going. Spurs shoot 19 of 35, 54.3% from deep. Bucks shoot only 33.3% from deep, which really isn't that bad overall, not too far below their season average, but the Bucks are only 40% overall. Giannis, 24 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists. So a decent game for him, but you could tell that the Spurs were queuing in on him, in on him uh, quite acutely. Chris Middleton, just 5 of 16 from the floor. Eric Bledsoe, weirdly, just 2 for 7 from the floor after looking really aggressive this Saturday previously against the Spurs. Riley, I want to open it up by talking about the San Antonio loss, and then also maybe tag team it with that Philadelphia loss. Not that they were, you know, exactly the same. I think the Philadelphia loss seemed more, um, I don't know, overwhelmingly uh, destructive by the 76ers. They seemed to just to take the Bucks completely out of their game. The Bucks looked out of their game, but maybe not to the same level against the Spurs. So, uh, what what did you sort of notice from you know either that Spurs game or the Sixers game that that stood out to you in terms of uh, the Bucks not able to achieve the kind of success they've had thus far? So the biggest thing that jumped out to me is it seems in both the Philly and the San Antonio game, to a certain extent, both of the opponents included some form of the quote-unquote wall, like the nebulous wall that we're going to talk about until the sun explodes. The fact <laughs> that they, it, it seems like the thing is, almost every team has an idea of what the blueprint is, and we'll see occasional teams like try to implement it. Like Even the Trailblazers last night were like, okay, let's just throw four defenders at Giannis and see how it works. Unfortunately for them, they didn't have like the personnel or the length, the size to be able to stop him. But when you're playing a team like the Spurs, given how well coached they are, and they, they have a little bit of length and a little bit of size inside, which is cannot be said for a lot of other teams. And of course, as we talked about previously with Philly, the fact like their size and length is what makes them a special defensive team. And that kind of showed through. And so, what was the big uniting factor between the two was like, yes, the other team shot really, really well. But like, I mean, you know, you don't lose by 22 by like, even if the Spurs had shot relatively average, that doesn't make up for the fact that the Bucks just could not get it going from three offensively, especially. Um, and the same thing in the Sixers game where, the, you know, they shoot 40% from three, which is pretty decent. But, you know, obviously the Sixers go 47.7%. And when you have a situation like that, it really just makes me worried because yes, opponents need like really outstanding shooting nights to really blow the doors off the bucks. But these are both wins that were by pretty significant margins. And so even if the opponent shot just decent from three and they have the defensive plan to throw the bucks off, we've seen it happen a couple of times. Now it doesn't happen all that often. They're 35 and six, but that was what concerned me most was the fact that we've seen two really well coached teams or I wouldn't say Philly's like a really well coached, but decently coached and the right personnel to make it happen. And so you have to wonder 
are we going to run into opponent like the Sixers or somebody else who can implement that well enough to force the Bucks to keep the pressure up? And you know, how did this team respond? And I, I think we can assure ourselves that Giannis is going to get his points, but everybody else is a little bit of a question mark on a game to game basis. Yeah. All, all very valid points. I think the 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 wall and the wall that you talk about uh, will cer- is certainly a talking point that we've had many different times this year. Uh, the interesting thing, of course, yeah, when the when the Bucks don't have their three point shot falling in, the, in that Spurs game, if you just look at their percentage of shots, they were shooting more from three and basically siphoning off. They were shooting a few more percentage of shots from the mid range, then also siphoning their shots off that they would typically have at the rim and putting those towards three point land, which makes a lot of sense given that's sort of what the Spurs game plan was. So the numbers bear that out. The plan was to put the wall up, sort of deter the Bucks from being able to get in there and try and finish over their length or even try and attempt shots at, at, at the rim. You know, it's essentially what the Bucks are doing defensively as well, trying to deter teams from doing that and then siphon out the shots from three-point land. So a successful strategy from that standpoint. But I think where it really gums up what the Bucks like to do is if it's just so hard when players aren't hitting shots, I would say also in quick succession. I think we've seen that before when the Bucks are able to get sort of a torrential downpour of threes, you can kind of feel like you're like that wall is going to soften up. But when it's just sort of in drips and drabs over the whole extent of the game, it's kind of hard for Giannis and Eric Bledsoe to feel like that inside is softening, like there's a softer underbelly for them to be able to penetrate and go in and create good looks for their teammates because I think, you know, case in point, Eric Bledsoe taking only seven shots is pretty ridiculous um, considering how well he played that that game prior against San Antonio. And, of course, DeJounte Murray was back, so that's part of it. Significantly better to – maybe not significantly better, but better defender than Derek White. But uh, I, I think that that concerned me quite a bit because it was sort of that, that playoff blueprint, right, where Eric Bledsoe just kind of becomes a non-factor. It's Giannis trying to do it all on himself, and if Chris Middleton isn't hitting, then it's just going to – it's going to lead to disaster. Yeah, and you know, I think what's most interesting about this regular season so far, in my opinion, is and I'm gonna continue to harp on this because this was my first media experience. So this is like the in you know the inside info that I got. But when I did the Magic game before the game, uh, Mike Budenholzer said that they like 70 to 80 percent of their possessions are just like he trusts the players to do it. Essentially, like it's free flow. And I think even last night Zora Stevenson was talking about the fact that he trusts like Giannis and the vets to be coaches on the floor, essentially. But the issue is, like, yes, the system is there. But like you said, for Giannis, it's like if if his teammates aren't hitting, you know, all credit to him, he still tries to make it happen to get passes out. So it's not like he's, like, just totally issuing everything his teammates are doing. But so much of it is, like, his one move is to lower his shoulder and run <laughs> run into mm-hmm. a group of dudes, which is, like, really oddly effective, which is what makes <laughs> him so special. But that's got to be hard on him physically. And it like we've talked about before, if that's going to be the plan time after time, like he's getting up 22 shots where, you know, five of them are threes. It's a lot better this season than it was previously, but where so many of his shots and because he's taking so many of them are within the paint. If it's just going to be Giannis decides as the coach on the floor that he's going to lower his shoulder and try to make it happen because his teammates are doing it, then that's just going to be a recipe for disaster. Now, as we said, not every team is going to have even the personnel to stop him, which is why, even when the Bucks are shooting poorly in games, like for example, they shot twenty two percent against the Warriors, which is from three, I should say, which is amazing. And then against the Kings, they only shoot twenty five point six percent as well. So even when they shoot poorly, if it's against a poor team, 
they have enough talent elsewhere to just like it really doesn't matter at the end of the day so i i think that's what's not concerning but what's interesting about being 35 and 6 is there's still some aspects underneath the surface that are like well you know is this something to keep an eye on is that really something to worry about and i think it is something to genuinely kind of be concerned about but it it's tough to really put it in context because the team is still playing so well because the system works relatively but it you know it makes it tough for Giannis and God knows he's got, if he's dealing with back issues, how they're dealing with that. And there's a lot of confluence events, which makes things a little wishy-washy right now, uh, on both sides of the court, really. Yeah. I think we'll touch on this later. We're going to talk a little bit about the team at this halfway point of the season. Some of our feelings on them compared in contrast to last year's projecting forward to the playoffs and that kind of stuff. One more thing I want to talk about. Well, the, the Spurs are sort of uniquely suited to, take advantage of this Bucks defense, given the fact that they're just a, a team of elite mid-range shooters. Yeah, I was going to say, DeMar DeRozan, like, come on down, please. I mean, like, thank God that, you know, he, he's not getting traded or whatever to some sort of team. He, he he was just he was just able to cook the entire game. The Bucks weren't didn't want to adapt what they were doing that whole whole performance. But but it, it's interesting, though, in that way, because you think about strategically, these Spurs have this roster that, I don't know why they built it this way. It's weird that they built it this way, but like realistically it is built to take advantage of what the bucks are giving up. And then the Philadelphia Sixers in another example is a team that seems especially based on what's been happening since they beat the bucks, like a team built exactly to beat the Milwaukee bucks and stop Giannis at what he wants to do. And I think we saw that as the, I would say maybe this was the best example of, of, of this, of, of, Joel Embiid's ability to actually stop Giannis, which, you know, Giannis had 52 against the Sixers last year, and that was a huge breakup game. But realistically, Riley, Embiid owned Giannis at, at, at the rim in that Christmas Day game. And you could tell that Giannis did not look like himself. Yeah, it was ugly. Now, <laughs> thank goodness we didn't come out after the game. Giannis was like, yeah, my back was sore. Like, they <laughs> didn't come up with some sort of excuse for it. I think the one thing that's not weird about the Philly game, and I wonder in your opinion, and just kind of thinking about it generally, if Eric, cause he was out that game, obviously, I think, was he still dealing with the rib issue then? Or was yeah, that the leg? I, be- I believe so. Whatever injury he had. So he wasn't available. And I, I would be curious to see, and we saw last year, I mean, he wasn't available after four minutes into the like late season <laughs> game against the Sixers either. Cause he got ejected, but I would be curious. You're right. That, it's I'd have to look at the roster that Philly ran out last year versus this year, but because Embiid is so big, and we even saw this against like Gobert as well, Giannis eventually figures it out. But the first matchup against a really big dude, and it, when it's a team full of really big dudes, and he's essentially the only creating option, especially in the paint, that makes things nigh impossible. And yes, it, it maybe it was a little bit injury, but it it was like you said, uniquely set up for everybody to key up on Giannis because when you have Chris out there, Brooke out there, Wes out there, Dante, Dante's like sort of a slasher, but I wouldn't say he's necessarily a guy who drives the paint. And obviously the other three guys, they just kind of keep out. So when that's going to be the case, yeah, I mean, you know exactly what Giannis is going to do every single time. And that makes life a lot easier for Joel. So I'd, I'd be curious to see in the next game, if Eric is available as well, how much that changes, because when they go big like that, it feels like a situation where, Eric could take advantage, but like Josh Richardson, if he, if he stays on Eric, maybe that just nullifies that. So you're right that they're almost uniquely designed to be really difficult to beat, especially for the way the Bucks play. And especially if the Bucks don't really have many other options, like 
if it's just going to be 70 to 80% of the same exact thing, then yeah, you're going to have problems. And obviously that showed through in that game. Yeah. And I believe, I can't, I can't remember if it's this month or next month, but um, I, th- I think it's next month, but the Bucks face uh, the Sixers. I'm just looking at the schedule here. I believe they face the Sixers twice. Yeah. In the span of basically two weeks. So, well, I think we'll get a, it's nice that we're able to face them four times this year as opposed to the three. Usual three. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we really get a lot of a lot of examples, and we should have a good amount of data to go off on uh, should these teams meet in the playoffs. And it's been it's weird how Philly's been, and of course Joel Embiid is out now. But then Philly, like right after this win, went on some weird stretch of games where they kept losing in in true Philly fashion. Yeah, like how much do you? <laughs> this is this is the thing because I don't watch a lot of uh, Sixers games. There's a lot of opponents that I don't watch a lot of the games of. But I'm curious how much of it is like lackadaisical or they just don't give a damn because you know whatever it's a team full of dudes who don't really give a damn or if they only get up for like big games which if that's the case that's obviously still going to be a problem because if you're facing the playoffs every game's a big game but they're like the exact situation where yes they played really out of their minds but it would not be totally unrealistic for them to not play as out of their minds but still give the bucks enough fits where it's a close series throughout and to me, that would be like a toss-up. After one game, we'll see after, you know, whatever, the next two or three, whether or not I change my tune. But it's definitely was a concerning performance all around right on national TV to get pants like that. Yeah, yeah, that that was tough to take. Well, let's talk Wait, did you, wait, when, when the game was happening, was everybody, so you have it worse because you're in Philly. Was everybody around you, like, ashamed for you or were you in the corner, like... That's really trying not to scream because that's what I was doing. I was like, <laughs> every couple of seconds I would look at it, I was like, oh, God. Okay. I, I try to play it off really cool. Like, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I was dying inside the entire time. Yeah. I, well, thankfully, I was surrounded by Bucks fans. I didn't have to watch it with any Phillies fans or okay, Sixers fans. So that was a Christmas treat. Um, and it was tough because this was the game where. I told my wife to bet 50 bucks on it. And I said, you <laughs> yes, the betting update thing. I was God. like, please, you, you got to put 50 bucks down. I mean, this is just a bet. It's, it's a guaranteed bet. I know we're going to destroy them. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was really tough. Cause we, it wasn't even close. Like it, it, it just wasn't close from halftime. We kept being like, Oh, what if we get it down to single digits? And they it, got uh, it. They got it to like within twelve in the final uh, three minutes. Is like, well, don't call it a comeback. Here we go. It, it did not happen. No. Yeah. So that's all right though. Still had a good Christmas. I guess that's what really matters. It is what matters. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about uh, a couple of the other games. We'll touch on briefly before we do a sort of overarching conversation about the season at large. To this point, Bucks also start their West Coast road trip. Then after losing in San Antonio, they go out to California take on the Golden State Warriors, and they won 107-98. to 98. Giannis had 30 points, 13 rebounds. Middleton had 21 points, uh, 6 of 16 from the field. I will fully admit I, I did not stay up for this game. Apologies to Bucks Nation. It sounds like if there is any game for me to not stay up for, this was this was it, though, uh, based, on, based on all reports. Yeah, I was 100% also right there with you. I was in bed at 10 o'clock uh, straight up. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm just going to hope they win, and I – whatever wake up the next morning to find out it was a close run affair which i don't know if that's a function of the bucks just just not caring i mean clearly it wasn't draymond green greatest player of all time going one to seven from the from the field but uh, (laughs) um everybody i mean you know whatever it's again another situation where the bucks can play poorly they can shoot 22 percent from three but because it's a really crappy opponent uh for the most part i mean whatever no disrespect to those guys but just given the roster they have available 
uh, whatever. They kind of just lackadaisical around and still win either way. So whatever. It's it's your usual death, whatever, beating up on a crappier team, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Good on the Bucks for taking care of business. And, uh, you know, I mean, the Warriors shoot almost 40% from three. That keeps them in the game. And the Bucks are able to get to the free throw line. That keeps them in the game. Uh, and then, I mean, the Warriors, I don't, you know, Warriors can be have given other teams fits too. They were just took it to the wire with, against the Clippers the other night, beat the Rockets on Christmas Day. So, you know, that's just a it's it's part of when you're going on a four game road trip, you're going to have some of these hiccups. But surprisingly, the next two weren't really hiccups at all. The Bucks go on and win one twenty seven to one oh six against the Kings, and then the second game of a back to back, they go up on Saturday evening one twenty two to one oh one win against the Portland Trailblazers. Um, let's talk first about that Kings game, Riley. Lowest season total output of the lowest point total output of the season for Giannis, 13 points to go along with 10 rebounds and five assists. Sort of the team is buoyed by the efforts of, of Eric Bledsoe, 24 points, 10 of 17 from the field, and Chris Middleton, 27 points, 9 of 12 from the field, 11 rebounds, four assists. Uh, I do want to mention Dante got his career. I was going to say, I was like, I hope it's, this gets up. I'm going to highlight if he doesn't. Yes, no, I think, I think it's time for Dante's Inferno. I think I can be a professional basketball player. Career high for Dante DiVincenzo, 18 points, still lower than Rashad Vaughn's career high. And <laughs> we have time to fix it, though. We still have time. <laughs> uh, I did. I was excited about it. And then I think I saw some something come across Twitter. I think it was probably from some Kings blogger who was who was like, it was, it was someone had talked about Dante's career high, and then he was like, add Dante to the list of 50 other role players who have gotten their career high against the Kings. So that made me a, a little less excited about it. But still good to see Dante get go off uh, go off for that one. Yeah, I think with the key, as you were saying here, really all the other players, it's whatever. It's the fact that Dante, and I would have to relook at all the previous games, but somehow going four or six from three. I mean, it looked like he forgot how to shoot completely for a couple of weeks there. It was, it was the definition of touch and go. So good on Dante. Plus he gets the, you know, three rebounds, one assist, three steals. I mean, it would be, I have no idea what the quote unquote value of a steal is obviously it's a good thing to take the ball away from an opponent and it really depends on whether or not you convert on the other end but it's really strange it, like how much of it is he just senses things versus i see him multiple times a game where if like the opposing team is coming in transition even if they're just kind of slow walking it up he will try to like jump the passing lanes all the time like he'll just he'll take one step and it like if it doesn't come okay then i'll back off and i think the fact that he's able to recover from that so routinely and still not be a total liability on defense, it, it's really impressive. However, we should note that he's been shooting like 24% from three over the last 10 games, and I'd have to relook at what his season percentage is. So it, really the key with Dante as it you know was last season and the start of this season is whether or not he can develop a jump shot. Seemed like we had figured it out for a little bit there. Uh, he's down to 32.8% from three, which, is, which isn't which is too bad. You could hope for a couple more percentage points up. But, uh, you know, whatever. Good good, uh, good on him to step up and kind of break the malaise that he had been in the past couple of games. Yeah, that was it was certainly a good time for him to break out of that slump. Uh, it, the, the Kings game was odd. I mean, it was good to see Chris Middleton kind of get going from mid-range. Eric Bledsoe kind of spanking the Kings in terms of that. Uh, point guard matchup yeah um with deer and fox uh i thought i thought this game was very 
aesthetically pleasing. I don't know what it was, but I thought the Bucks put together some of like my favorite. They they have tons of great passing sequences this whole year, but it felt like they were really, really had it going in terms of. Uh, there were a couple like really awesome transition plays where they like they make this first pass and then at least to four other extra passes. They've been doing that all year, but it it felt like they really uh, found their rhythm against the Kings and it never this one didn't really ever seem in doubt it felt like they had a handle on this one from the from the tip yeah i thought actually i agree generally but that that second quarter was such typical as well like this this was the microcosm the entire Mm -hmm. season you're right that they had a really good passing night there were a lot of times where you know if Giannis isn't out there dominating the ball which you know it's no big deal it's Giannis; he can dominate the ball if he wants but when everybody else has the ball especially in the Kings game, there's a lot of like making the extra pass or kind of swinging it around the perimeter, which we don't see nearly as often as I think they should probably do, but that's whatever. That's a discussion for another day. But we see in that second quarter, this is the issue, right? Like you have a lot of sub lineups and you have George Hill who plays. Okay. He like nine points. Like he just does George Hill things, six assists, but all the other guys like Wes Matthews is out there. He goes zero for six broke Lopo's out there. zero for five from three. Uh, what's Pat Connaughton, 0 for 4 from 3. Kyle Korver, 0 from 2 for 3. So, like, yes, they had built up enough of a lead where even though they let the Kings get right back in it, they were able to put Chris and Eric back out there, and they were both really, really hot, and obviously that's just kind of is what the difference is. But I thought it was indicative, almost like the Spurs and the Sixers game, but to a lot lesser of an extent, but like almost every other game where you'll have the occasional time where the role players aren't playing really well, and... I wonder once we get to the playoffs, like how much of a factor is that going to play in? Because if we have these guys ostensibly here, like, oh, they're going to hit shots. They're just going to hit shots. Like, okay. And if they're not hitting shots, then what the hell are we going to do? So I thought they did a really good job adjusting in the second half and just kind of blowing the, I mean, whatever they only outscored the whatever Kings by, I think 12 in the second half. So it wasn't like, this really great defensive effort. It was a really good offensive end from them. So I, I thought it was just, like I said, a little bit of a, a microcosm of the season where there were things to be happy about and other things were like, eh, you know, we can chalk it up. It's whatever, one game out of 82. But when you kind of continue to see it from guys who are going to be ostensibly playing a big role in the playoffs, it's just something to kind of keep an eye on. You know, it's a great point. And, you know, that when you think about the playoffs pro- pro- projecting forward, I mean, Bud loves to lean on these these super sub lines. Oh, he loves he it. it. He do. We did it. We saw him do it all year last year. We saw him not really waver from his type of minute total for Giannis, even in the playoffs. Obviously, he upped it, but he wasn't really willing to go above forty minutes. Uh, and when these games come down to, if there's a two minute sequence where your team is go gets minus eight from the floor because. George Hill isn't hitting shots, and Dante DiVincenzo, God love him, really doesn't shoot that well. Uh, you know, your team's going to be in a hole, and it's going to be tough for you to recover from that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up. That second quarter kind of standing out is something we should we should certainly use as, 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 a, as a lens to view the rest of the season through. But then the, the, this 122-101 to 101 win against Portland, uh, really a dominating performance from the big three, uh, Giannis, Milton, and Bledsoe combined for 91, 32, 30, and 29, respectively. Portland shoots just 27.8% from three, 10 of 36. Uh, essentially don't have a center the entire night, Riley. Anthony Tolliver, Tolliver, God love him, the old man. Just <laughs> still get minutes. Still get still minutes out minutes. here. Just, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. This man has had to do, gotten destroyed by Giannis so many times, and he continues to go out there and play. And I, I, I salute him for his effort. 
but it was it was quite clear that uh, Eric Bledsoe could get whatever he wanted inside. Uh, same with Giannis. Well, so you said the big three. I think we need to give a shout out. It's the big four this game. I think it's time for Dante's Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we already did that segment. Now he Dante, the only other guy got into double digits with scoring, so he gets ten points. I want to give another shout out to Dante. No, uh, we'll do. We'll play the tag again. Yes, please do. Yeah. So, um, so against the Trailblazers, you're right that it was totally up to the big three, and like I said. You know, or like you said, like I said earlier on, it was like they were just in a tough spot, the Trailblazers, because I think Hassan Whiteside, he's got like uh, illness, I'm pretty sure. Like he's dealing with sickness. Obviously, Yusuf Nurkic, like his leg broke into 80 parts last year, so he's still recovering from that. So when when your like tallest guys, like you said, Tolliver or like whatever Carmelo Anthony's doing on the defensive end, besides cussing really loudly while grabbing rebounds, like it's just going to be tough. And you saw it time and time again, where this is like the exact perfect situation for Giannis and Eric, where they, the opponent just doesn't have the size to be able to really stop them. And like Giannis every single time down, they could throw four dudes at him, but it felt like how many fouls did the, so 20 fouls for the trailblazers. It felt like the bucks had, a billion and ones in this game like it was just it, there was whether it be just not swiping at the guys hard enough or really just how strong Giannis and eric are to be able to get through all that and still convert time after time after time and then on top of that in both the king's game and the trailblazers game we should give a shout out to chris middleton like he's he's been really really on fire these past couple of weeks and it's not even doing anything really outside of the ordinary form. It's just his usual bevy of like, okay, I'm just going to do a lot of ISO moves, a lot of little like dribble drives or you know, dribble moves here and just get the guy just a little bit of space and convert the mid ranger time and time again, which when he's doing that makes life a lot easier for everybody else. So it was like the typical big three game. And unfortunately for, you know, Damian Lillard and company, just not enough uh help from the rest of the roster like they ran out a lot of guys that's kind of been the issue for the blazers like they're just kind of shallow and when you have to give carmel anthony 33 minutes like maybe he's not super duper washed but he's he's not the carmel anthony of previously so it's just a tough situation for them and the bucks took advantage of it yeah 100 percent. when you look at the I mean, they just don't have the length after losing like Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu. They just do not have the bodies in the front court without Zach Collins and Hassan Whiteside and any of that sort of length to try and go up against the Bucks. I mean, that's why Chris Middleton can cook as much as he wants against the likes of, you know, Hazonia and Jalen Horde. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Didn't know <laughs> he was in the league, before, but that's yeah. all right. <laughs> the, the, the Warriors game was the ultimate, like, because I don't, because they haven't been very good. I looked at it, I, I, felt awful for how few players I even knew on their roster. Like it was really bad. It feels like Omari Spellman has lived and died six careers already at this point. Like <laughs> that's one guy that wasn't he he was a part of the Hawks, right? Yeah, he was. I think he ripped the Bucks apart in a summer league game once. It sounds about right. Actually, so talking about guys that we haven't really heard of or in the Bucks case we haven't heard from all that often. We should just circle back real quick to the Kings game as well. Give a shout out to Sterling Brown. Mm, great point. Uh, didn't play for what felt like again weeks. He's just kind of been really jerked around a lot, it seems, with his minute uh distribution. So he, he comes in the third quarter again, like we said, after that second, I was like, eh, not that great. He comes in, he ends up in 18 minutes, gets a double double, 11 points and 12 rebounds. Like it's it was the most typical Sterling Brown game on both ends of the floor, which was I think in a positive sense. And 
I'd be curious what, what his rebounding percentages are because for a wing of his size, he he gobbles up a lot of them, but just want to give a shout out to Sterling. And then he doesn't, you know, whatever scored nearly as much against the Trailblazers, but he, whatever, seems to have earned another 13 minutes, even if it's a bud until like deep into the third quarter to bring him out. So shout out Sterling. Yeah, I think they said that was his first double-double ever. Yeah, that was, which seems strange. I thought it would be... I, like he's gotten minutes before, which I don't know if that's a whatever, like a condemnation of him or the role he plays or what, but I would have figured he would have gotten a double double, like some point last year, even like there was time during kid during the kid era where he was playing quite a bit. So that was interesting, I guess. Yeah. A hundred percent. And also he was, uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. He was a shot in the arm in that third quarter really brought the bucks when they were, they were faltering just a little bit and bud needed a little bit of different energy in there. He was all over the court defensively. Him and putting him and, and Dante out there at the same time defensively is uh, very menacing for another team because Dante has some insanely quick feet. There were some possessions last night where he was just right in a dude's jersey uh, against the Blazers and just an absolutely insane job of contesting shots and sticking with guys considering the amount of uh, dribble drive moves they yeah. have. Yeah, it's interesting because like – both you're right they're both like really menacing when they're both out there but they're like almost in slightly different ways because sterling he's got he's got like the physicality almost Mm -hmm. and the length to be able to but for dante you're right that even if he quote unquote like gets blown by he he's able to keep up enough to force an opponent to pick up the dribble and then he has the ability you saw it against the kings multiple times where like the the ball handler has to pick up the dribble and they're going to try and pass out and he just like he sticks a hand exactly where they're going to try and go because you know, once you're stuck on the baseline, there's only so many options you can realistically go to for a lot of players to pass out. And yet, or Dante, I should say, seems to have a pretty good handle on which lanes those are. And, it, you know, again, he's there's a reason why he's getting so many damn steals because he just, it's not so much physically, like, yes, he can keep up through picks and everything, but he just he's that's all about dante he just does stuff like <laughs> he when when he hopefully it's a long long time from now but on that tombstone it's just to say dante divincenzo rest in peace he did stuff and on the defensive end more than even on the offensive end i think that's just it shows through often which is refreshing given some of the defense we've seen some guards in the past and uh you know good for dante <laughs> thank goodness for dante yeah we'll let dante play us out as we take a quick break here and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about the taking the temperature of the Bucks at this halfway point of the 2019-20 season. And then move on to our quick potpourri that'll take us out to the rest of the show. Show, show. So stay tuned. All right, we are back, Riley. It's the halfway point of the season. The Bucks are on pace for. Did you know this? They're on pace for 70 wins. Um, and it's time for us to talk about how we're feeling about them to this point. I, I have a couple of different topics I want to touch on here, um, but I want to start it off with a very simple question. Do you feel better or worse about this Bucks team in terms of their championship potential and than at this time last year? Hmm. God, do I, can I be a hot take artist? I guess I'm going to have to be a hot take artist. I think, I mean, we're talking, it's like hairs a percentile, but I would say maybe slightly worse. And my rationale for that is one last season was a huge breakout year. Like we had no real idea, not what to expect, but the way that they played last year was like, this This feels like the year to be. And so far through this season, to me, the, what's the biggest concern is when I look up and down the roster, 
I'm trying to see what did we add or change last season in terms of personnel and which guys are playing above their averages, which guys are playing below and like, how does that translate into the playoffs? So if we look, because we already saw last season, there, there was a team like we, yes, the Raptors were really good. Obviously they won the championship, all credit to them, but we've seen that there are teams who can trip up the bucks if they play things right. If they have the right personnel and coaching, which, to their credit, there's not a lot of teams that do that, but in the playoffs, there are going to be more of them. And so when I'm looking at the roster here, like just, you know, the starting five, okay. Wes Matthews has been okay. Uh, the, over the past 10, he's been kind of washed, but defensively, he's still okay. Eric Bledsoe, I I think he's playing like Eric Bledsoe does, which is really good in the regular season. But like we've said, he switches off at times, and that's a problem. Chris Middleton, I think he's obviously having a career year. So that's one where it's like, okay, he's doing a lot better. Giannis is doing a lot better, at least matching a lot of his numbers from last season, whether or not he has a back injury, that's a question. But then, you know, I think the only other guys that really jump out is like George Hill playing out of his mind. How long does that last? And Dante, again, come or go, depending on how he's feeling. So when I'm looking at the roster and the way the Bucks play, there's not a lot about it that's radically different from last year. And they won 60 games last year, and they have every possibility to go ahead and blow right past that win total this season. And it seems like we have better veteran personnel to be able to answer any sort of slumps, but there are still times where like, we're getting Ursan out there for 15 to 20 minutes, and there are times where opponents are just essentially blowing by him time after time on defense. There are times when Kyle Korver is out there and maybe he could be a three point spark plug. But if I'm an opponent, I'm picking on him all day long. Like we're just every single time we're trying to get him moving and totally just get right past him. And so there are good things and there are things where I'm still a little concerned and I'm not sure if it's changed nearly enough where this is this whole new look that teams are just gonna, they can't stop us. And through the regular season, that seems to have been the case, but I'm curious when a team has time to plan for it, how well that's going to hold up. And again, another thing, Mike Budenholzer doesn't change a lot. Like mm-hmm. he put together a really good system and he does change eventually, but he takes forever to change. And there's something to be said about that for consistency and getting guys into position and giving them responsibility to make up decisions. But when you're in a tight series, is he going to be able to stop himself from playing Ursan 15 minutes? Or is he going to double down, like you said? Or even if he does not want to play Ursan, who, like, is he all of a sudden going to go to DJ Wilson? I have my doubts about that. So I think there's a lot of questions still, even though the Bucks are really good this year. I would say I'm a little bit worse just because there are still a lot of good teams. And I think there's a lot of good teams with the personnel that could give them trouble, especially in the playoffs. That was a long winded answer to say slightly worse, but I just wanted to justify my position. No, I'm glad you did. I, I, I think I'm leaning the same way. I I'm really glad you brought up that last point. It's one of the things I've been thinking a lot about. I I think there was a piece this past week that I I didn't get a chance to fully read, but I was talking about uh, Nick nurse's commitment to experimenting Mm -hmm. during the regular season. That was a really good, yeah, really good piece. The the exact antithesis of Bud. So continue, sorry. Yes. Uh, well, it, was there? You, you can do it in broad strokes if you want to. If there was something that stuck out to you about it, because I didn't get a chance to read it. Yeah. So there was just a couple of quotes that stood out. It was more so like, so I again, I'm going to keep hammering on it because I thought it was really interesting that Bud said that like 70, 80 percent. He's just he's not coaching, which maybe that's like 
a random number he plucked out, but that's probably generally how Bud approaches. Like he's relatively hands off when the game is going on and calling plays occasionally. Where it was like Nick Nurse, his whole thing is like we're just going to prepare. Like even if it doesn't quote unquote work in the NBA, we're going to try these defensive schemes. We're going to try a slightly different approach for the players. And so if he's like the players, like they beg me to like switch over to these new things just so they can practice it. So that when the playoffs come around, like, okay, do we need to run a zone? We, we have experience running the zone in the regular season, like actual meaningful minutes. We can go to that. Do we want to play man? We could do that. Do we have our beast base defense? We can do that. And so like, it, it's just, it's a, it, to me, it was like such a stylistic difference where Nick nurse. Yes. He runs his guys like into the ground, a lot of minutes, but he's willing to experiment even if it means trying to go back to concepts that have been quote unquote proven to not work in the NBA. It's like, let's get familiar with it because we don't have a lot of time to practice. And so the only time we're going to be able to do that is in the games. And if that means we struggle at times or we lose the occasional game, that's whatever, because come playoff time, we're going to at least be comfortable where if I call on you guys to suddenly run a zone, like that's not going to be a problem for you. You can just do that. Like, you know how to operate it. And for, for Bud, if it's like one, I don't think they change anything defensively, like during a game. Like it's very rare. I don't know. I'm too X's no dumb to really know, but it seems like it's pretty rare for them to really switch the defensive scheme, which to their credit, it works really well. But there's a reason teams get up like 50 billion three pointers on the Bucks. Like that's just how they, that's what they want to happen. And on offense, it's like if, if it's 80% of the possessions, just like the players are freestyling, like, there's not a lot of room to run plays and we've seen that come through on occasion where it's like, okay, here's, we need a critical play here at the end of the game to try and tie or win. All right, Chris, why don't you just go run to that forest of dudes? We're going to try and pass it to you and see if you can like, that's, that's the extent of our play calling on occasion. So I, I think you're right. That Nick nurse piece was really, I think it was CBS. Just, just Google it up. If you're interested, I thought it was really interesting the stylistic difference in coaching approach, which we saw last year. I mean, Nick Nurse beat Coach Bud in that series. Like, that's just what is what it was. And how many other opponent coaches do that? Open question. But there are other guys who do it. We we have examples of it. And is that going to be a problem in the playoffs? Fascinating, fascinating uh, to compare and contrast those two. Maybe part of it is, is Nick Nurse had a – I know he had an interesting roundabout process and progression up to his way as a head coach not that nobody else does but but was also in a place where he was entrenched for you know the better part of two decades yeah uh, with, with a with a coach uh, overseeing him who you know has changed his style over the years but does seem incredibly stuck in his own ways uh over what he believes that he wants to do um and i i totally i 100 agree about the defensive changes certainly you know, we've seen them at times, it almost, it felt like it caused like an insane riot last year when the Bucks finally dumped, you know, brought out a little bit of switching. And it was like, wow. Oh my oh God. My are God. they doing this right now? <laughs> oh my God. Um, but, you know, we just see, we see that stuff so rarely. And even if, you know, Bud can say all the time, yeah, it's the players 70 to 80%. Uh, like you said, that quote is, is really interesting. 70 to 80% is just the players out there. Uh, but if it's just the players, I mean, you know, part of it is you're not experimenting with the players at all. You're using the same sort of players game after game. Uh, and who knows when you might need a guy. That's another thing that Nick Nurse would do. He would try out really different different lineups, see how things fit and, and work together. Uh, it's kind of why I like when we face some of these teams that do try different things. Like I, I liked when 
it was almost it was almost more helpful and informative for uh, what Bud could potentially do if he wants to. Is like when we would face the Hornets last year, and they would always give us trouble, and we would finally break out the switching defense, and then we would start to play better. Uh, you know, the instructive lesson from that is is do like you said, do we have to get punished first before we are willing to make the change, or can we be a little more proactive with it? Uh, there's these teams that we've been facing. You know, where they've been playing smaller lineups, like we saw Chris Middleton basically as a, a center lineup late in, in some of the games this week, <laughs> yeah. uh, which was, you know, silly. And we're probably not going to see that in the playoffs. But, you know, if nothing else, it like it at least gives us an opportunity to see what if that did work? Like, what if that was gangbusters? Uh, you know, but it does feel like like you were saying, these all feel incredibly reactive. Like they're all feel reactive. And in the playoffs, you do have to be reactive. But. The regular season, I feel like you should be having a proactive approach to trying to create and test new ideas so that when the playoffs come and you have to be reactive, you'll be in a more successful place uh, to be able to implement those those different processes that and your players will be more comfortable with them. Yeah, and, and like you said, it's not even like it's also even small reactions like okay we're we're struggling a little bit maybe Giannis can play more than 10 minutes and like through three quarters or whatever it is like small stuff like that even could be changes and again this is this is the issue with having such a successful team is like it feels like every criticism like yeah but we're 35 and 6 I'm like yes yeah. <laughs> I'm like totally aware that the Bucks are really good this season but we would be doing a disservice to ourselves and how much goddamn time we spend watching this team totally own opponents. If we didn't say like, okay, you know what? Coach Bud, all credit, like, you know, the one thing, obviously, this guy created a really amazing scheme for the way this team plays. Like we have the third best uh, offense in the league and the best defense in the league. Like you cannot deny those facts. However, we've seen last season and we've seen at times this season and we saw when he was with Atlanta, like when was it the 15, 16 year where they got the first seed, whatever, like that wasn't a fluke. Like that was a talented team. And he had a system again, that really took advantage of the roster. And then they crashed out of the playoffs again, because it, whether it was like LeBron James, just totally decimating them or whatever the deal was, we've seen it happen time and time again, where he, puts together a really awesome system and he puts his players in good positions. And theoretically the players should be able to handle it from there on out. Like they're all talented enough, but there's a reason why you have a coach on the rod, like as part of the team, like he has to take the reins. Yes. It's really helpful that you can put your players in positions and trust them to make the right decision. But they're like, you have your third party perspective, like you're sitting outside of the game, you're not in the action, you can observe things that are happening and make changes. And that's just not something he does all that often, which is why, like, even when the Bucks get totally blown out, or it's it's like a tough outing, or even the back to back against the Spurs. Like I said, it's interesting because that it forces his hand. Like he has no choice. Or like when, when there's an injury. Like I obviously you never hope for anybody to be injured, but if somebody goes out, you're like, oh, finally, okay, we're gonna like we're going to see if Dante is okay as like a, a point guard. Like how, how does that work? So it, it, it's just, we have to hope things force his hands, which is probably not something that we should be really happy about. Uh, whatever, even for a team that's 35 and six. Yeah. It's sort of that, it, that thought it's like when Pogasol got injured last year and he was like, well, thank God now he can't play Pogasol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's not uh, going to help us. And then there's even like other stuff too. It's like, you know, 
outside of but it's like okay so brooke lopez he's shooting a little bit like a sack of potatoes from three this year like that's that's concerning because it's so critical but maybe bud will run him in the paint and he seems to be doing more of that but even then it's still not like a lot of the possession so even when he has like evidence this guy is struggling but we have to have him out there because he's so good defensively like let's let's there was like the Houston Rockets game to start the season. And after that, it's just like occasional Brooke will be in the paint and to Bud's credit, he's made that change, but it took a while to get there. Even with Brooke struggling from three offensively, which is theoretically so critical to what, how the team plays. Yeah. And I don't watch enough Raptors games to be able to say whether Nick nurse, you know, puts these wholesale changes in and runs him for a huge amount of time or whatever. Um, but that just seems like his philosophy. So I, I want to move on and talk a little bit, just about if there's a trend, is there a trend for you, Riley, given that you feel a little bit worse that has you most concerned uh, about this team? Uh, yeah, trend for me, and I just tweeted about it a little bit before we recorded, is literally all the other role players uh, shooting from three. And this is like the live by the three, die by the three. I'm not worried, like, this is like last season. If there's going to be a wall and Giannis is going to struggle to get through the wall because there's four 200-plus-pound dudes that are in his way, that's understandable. It's going to come down to literally everybody else on the roster to hit their shots. And for the most part, they've been okay. But over like the past 10 games, it's like Wesley Matthews shooting 20% from three. Dante was like 24%, I think. Uh, Sterling might have been a little bit better. I'm trying to like look through. Pat Connaughton was like in the 20 percentiles. Ursan, I think, was in the 45. So that's pretty high. And obviously, George Hill's shooting out of his mind. But my biggest concern, and it's not the end of the world because they're still like three-point shooting is just kind of that way but they're still almost like bottom two-thirds of the league in three-point percentage part of that is brooke not playing well and part of that is Giannis still figuring out his three-point percentage but when you isolate those guys off everybody else is like just okay and if they're going to be just okay from three i can already like imagine in my mind another series where Giannis is having trouble around the wall. Eric switched off for whatever reason, and everybody else is like, okay, and there's Wesley Matthews doing three step backs, and he airballed again, or whatever it is. So that that would be probably the most concerning, uh, quote-unquote, trend, and it's tough to really nail it down because it's cyclical, but that's something I would keep an eye on. What do you think, if I gave you, uh, do you, do you think the team's three-point percentage as a whole is better or worse than what they shot last year? that's tough i would say i'd have to like i'm like trying to not look at the stats i would say maybe it's worse i'm gonna say slightly worse than last year okay it's the exact same okay. uh, literally the exact <laughs> okay, same great. percentage awesome. right? so i know i felt bad when you were really having trouble figuring out which way to go um but that surprised me i was a little surprised by that yeah, but, but so like the issue then is like, is it the exact same because Giannis is shooting slightly better to offset the fact that Brooke isn't shooting? Like my my nightmare scenario, as much as I love Giannis taking the three and obviously it's helpful, how many teams are going to be content with like, okay, we'll just let Brooke, Giannis, and Eric shoot as many threes as they want and we just see the entire season drain away through that. Like that's a legitimate concern to me because it feels like that's something opponents could really key on because those three guys are... I mean, thank goodness Giannis, we can call him a shooter reliably where you can ride that through a series. I really don't think so. And so that's something to worry about as well. Well, 
I think it is going to come down to that, don't you think? I mean, like, uh, yeah, that, 100%. That, that, like that is what this that is what this is going to be, and it's going to be dependent on can Eric Bledsoe not shoot seventeen percent from three point land? Um, what time of <laughs> you know what time of selves can can Bud find for that? Uh, Pat Connaughton is shooting twenty eight point nine percent from three. Uh, the, Brooke Lopez, for me, the biggest concern has been his uh, offensive regression. A bit surprising to me, particularly given the fact that yes, he had he was at an all time volume last year. Um, but he's pretty similar to what he was shooting last year, and it just does not seem to be falling for him at the same sort of rate. So trying to find ways for him to be more successful, and, and teams still seem to be res- respecting him at least a little bit out to that distance. But, you know, come playoff time, like you said, I think teams will be more than content. That's what the Sixers did on Christmas Day. They said, Giannis, yeah, you can shoot your three. And when the first one doesn't fall, the second one doesn't fall, the third and fourth one don't fall, well then – I don't know what is Giannis going to start doing in the playoffs, and there he just kept shooting it, and it shot us to the point where we ended up losing the game as well. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say I, I agree completely. And would you say that's your like most concerning trend, or do you have a different trend that's more concerning to you? Um, I think it's it's I think it's the I just I think that's probably my most concerning trend, but I would also say. I'm glad when you started talking about why you were concerned, because I wanted to do this, this exercise also where we, we look at this roster and I was looking at game six of the playoffs last year. Yep. Bud played eight people. <laughs> yep. Who on this Bucks roster are going to be your eight? And I'll give you who he played last year. Okay. So it's game six. He near, as we all know, Miritich gets benched because he sunk. The whole playoff series. <laughs> yeah. uh, not great. Not, not great. great. We have Chris, Giannis, the usual starters, Chris, Giannis, Brooke, Malcolm, Eric, and then the bench players were George Hill, Ursan Ilyasova, and Pat Connaughton, who got about 10 minutes, and he was the lowest player. Yep. So on this team, if you had to make your eight-person rotation, who would it be? So it's obviously going to be the four, four of the starters, for sure. Mm-hmm. Giannis, Chris, Eric, Brooke. Like that's just because each of them have a role. It's like you need them out there. George Hill, obviously, 100% yes. He's playing out of his mind. You need a secondary ball handler to fill in in case Eric you know, decides to essentially not exist anymore. Past that, probably Wes is a defender, even if he is like come and go as a shooter. Uh, <laughs> after that, it's a real... Right? It's super open, like... I can be quiet about Robin Lopez because it doesn't seem like he's washed, but I, I'm not sure if that's going to be your guy. Obviously DJ, I mean, the world could explode and DJ's the only guy left and he's not getting minutes. This is not happening. Sterling seems like a similar thing. I'm you are hundred percent correct that if you're going just like looking at the minute allocation so far this season, if you're just going off of like total minutes, it's going to include like, Wesley, George Hill, Pat Connaughton, Urson, and Kyle Korver. Like those are going to be your three end of the bench guys. It could be Pat, Urson, and Kyle. Two of those three are potentially horrendous defensive matchups, and you're just <laughs> hoping you're hoping they get hot from three and maybe, but you're going to be paying for it on the other end. So that's that's a really good point. That it, and even like Wes, like I said, like defensively he's good. Is I'm some of the shot selections still, I'm like, what the hell are you doing, dude? And he's, he's been better than he was early in the season. And even with Dante, like he's had a good season. Is he really like proven? Obviously not in the playoffs. Is that something we can rely on or is that going to be a problem as well? So that's, that's a well-taken point that the rotation, even with how good they're playing, there's, there's some question marks and 
the biggest issue is even if you have like, oh, we could, we should see if we can upgrade. Like it's going to be tough to find the right kind of guy out there and find the right matching salaries because Sterling doesn't make a lot, DJ doesn't make a lot. The first rounder from Indiana is helpful, but like you're going to have to toss somebody else in there. And I don't know if like other teams are going to be cool with Urson or like what's going to happen. So I think it's a double whammy where yes, they're really good. There are questions about the rotation, but your hands are a little tied with trying to find help at the right price to make, to improve that rotation. It's a really, really difficult question to answer. It's, it's hard to ponder. It does. It does make me feel like, all of this like discussion we've had. And yes, I, like we said, caveats apply. This team is really good. They're 35 and six. They played really well, uh, but realistically we have to be prognosticating and looking towards the playoffs and figuring out what's going to be happening there because it does turn out to be a different game there. Unless you're in round one against Detroit and you're rolling over them. <laughs> yeah. But, whoever the first round opponent, like that's going to be the other thing. Like we're going to totally blow away whoever the eight seed is. And he's like, dude, freaking told you, bro, we're the greatest team of all time. It's like, and then maybe we'll like lose a game in the second round. Like, oh, dude, we totally killed the Salts again. Ha 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 ha. And then we'll get to the third round and then it potentially get pants happens all over again. So I think it's 100% fair of everybody to be like, eh, pump the brakes just a little bit, even as good as the team has been. And this is going to be a simplification, but it, it does sometimes feel to me, Riley, like I was someone who I forget what, which which side of the Brogdon debate are you on? You like really like uh, Brogdon? I, I'm pro Brogdon, yes. Okay. I thought they would be fine without with losing Brogdon, and I thought they could find ways that presumably would maybe make a trade and figure that stuff out. And I don't know if they will at this point. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But it, it almost feels like I'm just back to the simplification of. Oh, I don't like picking guy like replacing Brogdon was with Matt West Matthews. And then I'm like, Oh, we need like Urson to play 21 minutes in a yeah. pivotal game six. And Pat Connaughton is our other guy that we rely on. Yeah. Like, Oh, like we, it just doesn't feel like we have that, that, that the horses. And if Eric Bledsoe is a pumpkin, it's like, it, it's a simplification, but it starts to go back to that point. Like this roster probably overall is worse than it was last year. Yeah, I mean, and could you imagine if Dante wasn't having the that he's having? Yeah. Like how how bad? Like again, we'd probably still win an s load of games, but <laughs> like the fact that he has had a pulse for like almost thirty plus games now, huge godsend. Like oh my god, could you? The rotation would be so many Pat content minutes, and like. I've seen. I'm tired of the Brogdon debate. Like I've I've moved yeah. on for the Brogdon debate because it is what it is. I do tire though of people still this deep into the season. And again, this is like everybody like, oh, we've won so many games. Like yes, that's so true. But it 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 was to me it was never a debate of. And there's so many circumstances to it. But it's like it was never like you need to have Eric or Malcolm in my mind. It's like we're we're just going to compare one to one like well what's Eric doing this past week and what did Mal- Malcolm do this week? Like that's so reductive to a point where th- that is not the issue at hand here. Like you want as much talent as on the roster as possible, especially if you're going to have a guy like Bud where it's like oh everybody just go do whatever the hell you want. Like okay, if we're going to do whatever the hell we want, let's have like talented players who are doing whatever the hell they want and like you can get by a lot with vet savvy and it's really helpful that George Hill is playing as good as he is, but there's still other aspects just like, man, create something, do something a little bit different, especially if you're going to be doing whatever we want out here. Like I'd rather guys who are really competent doing whatever the hell they want. Like that, that's what, and 
again, maybe Malcolm would be injured. He'd be making way too much money for what he's doing. But like, whatever, like comparatively, Chris is going to be waking to making way too much money for what he does. Like he's super valuable, but it's just the market determined that and you have to pay the market price for that. So, and there's a lot of issues with that. And you're right that the rotation's a little shallow and maybe, 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 and we're really hoping this is the case. Maybe Eric has like his Kyle Lowry season where he actually breaks out in the playoffs. And it's, it's a total non-issue because as with everything, this team comes down to Giannis is going to get his numbers and is Chris or Eric going to get the numbers or, are they both going to get their numbers or neither of them get their numbers or is only one of them? Because those three options determines how hard of a slog it's going to be for the team. If both of them are hitting life is so much easier. Like it's, it's no problem at all. If one of them is struggling as they are want to do inconsistently every once in a while, then it's going to be a struggle. And if that's the case, that puts a lot of pressure on the rest of the roster perform. And like you said, it's, it's a, a, a weaker roster than last year. And it's, open questions once we get to the playoffs between that and the coaching, how that's going to play out. Well, okay. And realistically, just to sort of give my view on the, on the, who the eight, per, eight people would be, uh, the, I would do the four stars that you talked about locked in. Yeah. I think it's going to be West Matthews. Yep. It's going to be George Hill. Urson's yep. going to play. And I think Dante's the swing guy. And then that's it. Man, who that I'm really worried about those center minutes because like we've run Giannis at center a little bit, but like, I don't know. That's a really tight rotation. I have, I have questions about, and uh, the issue is like we've talked about before, Giannis is only averaging 30.9 minutes. Like at what point is Bud going to tighten up that rotation? Cause it felt like last year, deep in the playoffs, he had a really long rotation as well. So even if those are your eight guys, how long until we get to those eight guys, like as the guys before we, stop running everybody else out there. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that goes back to our point that we, we don't see the center Giannis lineup that much. And I mean, maybe we should, I mean, God, Lord knows we don't need to see center Urson minutes. Um, <laughs> please, it's like, center, center Chris minutes. We need more center Chris minutes. Spare us those. But I mean, Urson playing 21 minutes last year. I mean, he was fine. He was fine in the, in, in the playoffs and everything, but I mean, we just saw him get routinely roasted by uh, Rudy old man, equally old man, gay, uh, you know, over and over on the block. Like teams are gonna, they're gonna be able to find weaknesses and hit that stuff. And I mean, realistically, you know, it it, it is gonna come down to I think can the since the the swing players we don't know Dante Divincenzo is is really unproven. We'll see if he's hitting his shot in that series. It might come down to that. Um, it's gonna come down to whether Eric Bledsoe can the same debate we've been having for all the all of time if he's gonna have his Kyle Lowry season and. I mean, at some point, it's going to depend on can Giannis Antetokounmpo lift the team on his back even further. Yeah, he played yep. he, he played well in the playoffs, but realistically, he didn't play well enough in the in the Raptors series. You know, he yep. shot seven for eighteen in that game six. He was five or ten from the free throw line. That's been an issue for him all year. Uh, he's you know he'll have to elevate his game too. If we'll, if we'll be honest with ourselves. Yeah, the point about the free throw percentage—that's another thing that I'm concerned about. Like sixty-one percent from the free throw line and. I would have to look at what his playoffs number were last year here. I can probably just scroll down, but like, that's another thing that <laughs> slightly worried about in the playoffs. If it's like, cause it's going to be tight and it's probably going to be a lot of Giannis at the line. And there are games where he's really good from the line and his games like, Oh my God, I cannot believe this is happening right now. Like we are losing this lead right now because Giannis cannot hit a free throw for his life. And that's yet another small thing where, in the course of the season, not that big of a deal, but over a seven game sample size, that could be problematic. 
Yeah, well, and especially on the back of that Warriors game where they started to do the hacking on strategy. Yeah, I'm surprised know. more teams actually haven't gone to that. Be honest, like, like didn't the the Spurs did in the uh, the home game prior to earlier this week? I think they did a little hacky honest as well. It's like I, I'm surprised teams haven't really tried that a little bit more. Maybe sixty percent is enough, but he to me he hasn't proven nearly enough to be consistent enough a free throw shooter this season to not try to do that. Have you? I never. I haven't read any like data whether that like whole hack a strategy has fully. Like if it's super viable or not. Like I, I haven't read, I don't remember recall reading like a definitive article on that. It feels like because it's not something teams do all that often, they must have, it must be pretty league wide that every once in a while you can bust it out. But unless it's like a desperate situation where you're just really trying to claw back like at the end of a game and it's sort of close and you can kind of force a bad free throw shooter to the line. I can't imagine it's viable throughout the course of an entire game because obviously dudes are going to rack up fouls or you know, a guy might have an okay shooting knife from the free throw line. So I'm sure it's okay in moments, but probably not something that's valuable over the course of 48 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that was a lot of, uh, <laughs> Doom and gloom. Hey, again, uh, we should, we should counter all this by saying this team is really, really good. Like yeah. top three offense, top defense, the scheme works really, really well for how the team plays. We've had guys like Ster- or Sterling steps up every once in a while. Dante has been really good. George Hill, really good. Giannis matching his MVP numbers from last year, even if he's kind of struggled a little bit these past couple of weeks. Chris been really, really good from injury. Eric really like there's a lot of good things to be happy about. The question is, does that hold up in the playoffs? And I don't think we have an answer to that just yet. Yeah, not quite yet. I was looking at one other thing I was curious about. I feel like in years past, we used to always talk about how is this team you know, performing in the clutch and that kind of stuff? I haven't really looked at those numbers that much this year. So the Bucks are third in the league in terms of uh, net rating in clutch minutes, which is, of course, a game where it's within five points in the last five minutes of the game. Um, but I was very intrigued by this, Riley. The Bucks have played, unsurprisingly, the least amount of clutch minutes in the league, 38 minutes, on pace for the least amount of clutch minutes um, that I could find in a season in NBA.com's database, which goes back to like 96, 97. So the last time a team played like the fewest minutes I was able to find was outside of a lockout or shortened season was golden state played 95 clutch minutes in 2014, 15 and 100 in 2016, 17. Yeah. So just like goes to show how much the bucks are absolutely blasting opponents this season that they aren't even really facing close scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a good point. And it's positive in that you can finally give guys rest. You can, it doesn't have to be as much of a grind, but it's a negative in so far as you're not forced against the wall to really quote unquote, prove it, like kind of mm-hmm. deal with that. And that kind of even goes further. Like, you know, if, if they don't, are they able to switch it on in like really tight situations? And there's, I don't know, there's just a lot of open questions. We'll, we'll talk about it probably as the season goes on, but that's, that's another thing where it's like, no, I don't prefer close games. I prefer blowouts, even if it kind of makes the regular season a little bit boring. But, uh, you know, every once in a while, if, if they have to sweat it out, that I don't mind that whatsoever if they still get the win. Even if it's a loss, if they have to sweat it out, that's valuable in its own right. Yeah, plenty, plenty of interesting questions to ponder. I, I think, you know, like Riley said to counteractor Doom and Gloom, this team is awesome. I freaking love watching this team every single night. They are spectacular. I'm so excited that they are 35-6. and six. But this is a good point to sort of take stock of where we're at and look forward the the halfway point of the season. So uh, I'm glad we were able to do that. We we're going to talk about we were going to talk about trades and all stars and stuff, but I think we'll just table that for the weeks ahead uh, and move along to our our potpourri, Riley. 
Yes, and this week I am in charge of rapid fire. So just just a couple of quick ones here. So first one for you: Does Giannis have a back injury? Yes, <laughs> like maybe I, like as much as like I have a back injury after like working out and stuff. Like I got his back's kind of hurt. Holy crap! Are are you are you on team? Because I've seen a lot of people like, okay, just shut him down for three months. Like obviously not that that extreme, but I've seen a lot of people advocate like shutting him down for a couple of weeks. Uh, do you think uh, the Bucks should look into that, even if he's only like? whatever if he's going at 95 percent, do you think that's something they should load manage and just like sit him completely or are you okay with how they're approaching it um i don't know i haven't looked how much Kawhi plays per game but it feels like the bucks like have their own sort of way of trying to do load management which is keep the players playing but play them at at, at lesser amounts i mean Giannis is is barely, he's barely playing at some of these games um yeah so I'm, I'm kind of okay and i feel absolutely like i i'm actually in, in no way um should I even comment on it? Like I have no idea. I just trust yeah. what they're 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 doing. <laughs> I just figured since you're a resident podcast doctor, oh, you might have right. an insight there. I think conspiracy theory: the owners don't want to pay the fines for not playing stars on national TV games, so they told Bud to just play the guys like ten minutes in big games and just load manage. But you know, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, second question: uh, Do New Year's make you celebratory or reflective? Oh, more uh, so- celebratory or reflective? Because usually, I'm guessing most people are like both. Oh, I would say more celebratory. I barely even think about the last year. I just start drinking. <laughs> like a true Wisconsinite. That's yeah. it. Uh, will one, both, or neither of Brooke slash Wes match their career average from three? So, so far this year, uh, this is going to be a climb. Uh, Brooke, 29.3% this year. His career average is 34.1%. Uh, Wes, 35.6%. And his career is 381 from three. They got we're half we're pretty much at the halfway point, so they have forty one games to up that if they're gonna fix it. I'd say neither will. Okay. And and to Wes's credit, he's not too far off, like three percentage points if it's even a little bit better. Brooke, I there's I don't think there's any way he's gonna make it, which is really unfortunate. Um, I, I know we said we're not going to talk about All-Stars, but actually my quick question was the over-under on 2.5 All-Stars from Milwaukee. Do you think we're going to get three or just two? Because I think it's going to be two. The question is Eric still. Oh, I would say under 100%. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening unless everyone's going to be like, look, if your team's on pace to win 85 games out of 82, you have to have more than two All-Stars. But I don't think that's going to be the case because there's... They don't play. So. Yeah, the East is really good too. Well, I guess that doesn't always matter anymore, right? Yeah, I, I, people like look back like, remember when the Atlanta Hawks won thirty games and they had seven All Stars or whatever? Because like Kyle Korver got voted in or wherever the deal was, they're going to be that all over again. Uh, and then the final question: uh, Who will have more minutes, total minutes played this season, DJ Wilson or Dragon Bender? And for uh, for comparison's sake, let me just pull up their totals here. So, so far through 41 games, uh, Dragon has played only 29 minutes. DJ has played 218 so far. <laughs> Which seems, um, I have no idea where the hell those 218. Now, to Dragon's credit, he's been killing it in the G League. Just totally murking dudes down there. So there's there's... It feels like they're sort of grooming him a little bit now. Whether and we should also say he did get his contract guaranteed for the rest of the season, so mm, there' lots of dragging going on head heading forward. But two eighteen versus twenty nine, but seems like for whatever reason uh, they're grooming dragging a lot more than they are DJ. I would go DJ. I think the only way dragging wins is if he gets traded. 
That yeah, that's oh yeah, that's supposed. To, how funny would that be? DJ gets traded, and we still don't get enough dragon minutes. Like, <laughs> it, it feels that's really an, not a, super annoying. I, it feels like just Bud does not believe in DJ, which is whatever. It's fine. It's like offensively, DJ is still kind of a mess, so I understand it. But like, when Urson is out there getting the skates put on his feet, and he just cannot keep up with the dudes, like, can we try DJ just like a few <laughs> minutes and real minutes, please? Like, it would be great. So, but I probably agree that DJ is too much of a commanding lead at this point. That was lovely, Riley. Thank you for putting those together. I like no the, the I like the statistical element to them as well, a little bit higher higher level than some of the stuff I could. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely just looked on Basketball Reference for three seconds, but I do appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you for uh, the credit. All right, I'm gonna have you lead us into the next segment. Uh, it's vol- time for Vulture Talk, Riley. What is the situation with Giannis's long term contract? Giannis sent it to Kumpo. Giannis. 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 Yes, it is. And this week, could you ask for more controversy? It it feels like there are two teams we talk about every week, and those two teams are the Golden State Warriors and the New York Knicks. And of course, the Bucks played the Warriors this past week, so we couldn't go by without some controversy. And the controversy, I think you aptly titled it in the outline, the come on man heard around the world. So for context sake, I, I believe it was after the game, uh, Giannis went up to Steph Curry, who reports, I haven't seen it yet, but it seems like we're just a little bit away from Steph Curry also being a father figure for Giannis, like everybody else in the league. <laughs> the Giannis and Steph Curry meet up. They they shared some words, and some professional lip readers determined that Steph Curry said to Giannis, come on, man, let's do it. As they departed, Giannis kind of just walked away. Apparently, according to Steph, the next day they were talking about PUBG, a online battle royale like shooter game. Uh, I have my doubts about that. And then even more drama. Apparently, Steph Curry left Giannis a signed jersey and a quote unquote long note. Now, long note seems to be subjective. Like, was it long for a Steph Curry note or was it long like multiple pages? So there was just a confluence of factors and it didn't help that after the fact the like fs wisconsin equivalent for the warriors was tweeting pictures of Giannis like photoshopped into the really crappy mid-2000s warriors jerseys which is strange take on their part but uh a lot of drama around the warriors this week and uh a lot of other like pieces from their local paper talking about here's how we can get Giannis. so the the full court press is on for the warriors to get Giannis. So we left him a signed Steph Curry jersey. Yeah, how lame of a gift is that? I would be insulted if another player <laughs> gave me that. Like, what? Like, this is how you're gonna? Yes, he's he left him. I think a signed jersey of himself and a note saying something. We don't mm. know what the something is, but that's that was what the report was after the game that he left Giannis. Wow, um, that's scintillating. That's some good stuff. I hadn't heard the other parts about the long note and the jersey. Yeah, I, do I have think. To say, yeah, go, go for it. No, go for it. Uh, I, I mean, I do have to say, if like, I'm sure he's joking, all that stuff, and the people who do get worked up, I know it's frustrating, all that kind of stuff. Um, but also, Giannis didn't didn't Giannis do this like to Anthony Davis earlier this year? Do like when he was there uh, in Milwaukee or like when they uh, faced, la- last, last year, year when last year when he was going through the like please trade me and Giannis, oh, yeah. this, he was joking. He was like, come on, dude, come to Milwaukee. We're going to make it happen. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely uh, not something Giannis is uh, afraid to do. And it's like, I can't remember. Didn't it like start a couple with Steph Curry? I should say a couple years ago, like Steph picked Giannis. Mm-hmm. So then Giannis picked Steph to like return the favor or whatever. And everyone was like, <gasps> wow. Oh, yeah. God. He picked the best player. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh my god, I think Steph Curry might be Giannis's dad. Like, I think that was that was definitely that's going to be just my running joke because that's what everybody's that's the angle everyone's doing. So, uh, I again, I'm not too worried about it. Like, I don't know, whatever. Like, it's cool that they did that, and it's cool that Giannis is like cool with other players. It, I really, I don't clutch my pearls at night thinking about uh, Giannis to the Warriors just yet. So, yeah, well, it's going to stink when he goes there. Yeah, <laughs> man, that would be how brutal would that shit be? Oh my god, it would be a knife to the heart. But you know, uh, we have two years before that, that happens. So hopefully, we we'll get a championship before then. All right, thank you, Riley. One of my favorite segments of the week. That one was some great fodder. All right, let's talk briefly about the week ahead. Make some predictions, then we'll get on out of here. So the Bucks are home against the hapless New York Knicks. I expect that to be an absolute blowout, man. The hopefully, Knicks we get some vulture talk with it as well. Yes, yeah, we can only hope, and we get that's uh, it's. The Celtics are on Thursday, big game, and it's so that Celtics game is sandwiched between two New York teams. The Brooklyn Nets are on Saturday. It, I can't remember if Kyrie will be back or not. Let's hope so. I so think they said play he was going to – yeah, I think they said maybe this next week he's coming back. So I think there's a possibility he's returning. Oh, that would be great. Well, it's always fun um, to remember Kyrie fondly uh, wanting to guard Giannis in the playoffs last year. <laughs> that was really great. Huge, uh, huge favor done. Uh, by him, but I, I am most obviously excited for the the, the Celtics game. First matchup since that uh, loss that the Bucks suffered at their hands uh, earlier this year. Uh, it should be a, a really interesting matchup, Riley. Especially the Celtics have some interesting like wing small personnel. Um, so you know, probably going to be most interested on how Giannis can attack uh, their inside uh, with their somewhat weakened um, front court from who they had guarding Giannis last year. Yeah, and I'd have to go back and relook at that game. Was that like a typical? Uh, obviously, early season, the Bucks weren't playing like super duper. They were still kind of figuring it out. But was that a game where Giannis did well and everybody else is just kind of blah? They kind of. I'd have to go. Yeah, I'm pulling again. it up now. I'm pulling yeah. up the box score. Yeah, so Giannis had 22 points, five assists, 14 rebounds. So Chris Middleton was good that game. 26 okay. points, 10 of 15. Um, Eric Bledsoe took just eight shots. <laughs> typical Eric. It's like there's a tight game or a loss. It's like, all right, just look at how many shots Eric got up, and that's going to pretty much be your bellwether for whether or not it was uh, bad because he was not getting shots or just everybody was struggling. Now, here's one thing. Dante did not play. <sighs> critical. Critical. Yeah. And to Eric's credit, I think he was still coming back from the rib injury. So yeah, the whole like point. start of the season, I uh, discount that. No, I, I agree that now – what I'm going to do, this is my New Year's resolution, and I'm not a huge New Year's resolution, but I'm going to try and prevent talking super mad trash about all the other Eastern Conference teams because what's really interesting to me, and it's not anything like scientific or anything, but here are the other top teams in the East, Miami, Boston, Toronto, Philadelphia, Indiana, uh, and then Orlando and Brooklyn. Teams that have given the Bucks issues this year, Miami, Boston, Philadelphia, uh, Toronto, not so much, but we've seen that they can be a problem for once in a while. So the other four of the top five teams in the East all give Milwaukee fits and starts from time to time. So every time we play them, I'm not going to talk trash. I'm just going to be interested. What does Bud do to be able to adjust for the fact that they might have given him props in the past if he adjusts whatsoever? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I would like to also similarly do the same, unless it's the Sixers and I'm talking with my friends, then I'll do it because <laughs> um, they deserve it. But um, 
yeah, other than that, it has been really interesting. Won't work very well with our um, newly minted intro for the show, um, where I'm pretty sure we call out Philadelphia, Toronto, and Boston. But um, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, like we said at the start of the podcast, everything associated with this thing does not age well, except for its podcasters. We're all aging wonderfully. So, but the content, the content of the podcast does not age well. So yeah. it's it's fitting that the bumper at the start of the podcast also does not age well. Yeah, a great point though to talk about how those teams have clearly given the Bucks some issues. Uh, we'll be very interested to see if they can get one uh, in the ledger against the Boston Celtics this week. So, yeah, any predictions for how they do this week? Uh, I will say 3-0, and but I have a feeling that the game against Boston is going to be pretty freaking tight. Because, it, uh, you know, obviously last playoffs during that series totally blew the doors off of them after the first game. But, you know, this is the typical, like, they have a really good coach and they have decent personnel. And so it's up to, like does that coach figure out some sort of wrinkle that throws the bucks off enough or are the bucks talented enough to like, it doesn't matter one way or the other. So I think it'll be tight. They'll get the win, but uh, hopefully there'll be some lessons for bud to take away from it. It open question whether or not there actually are. Yeah. Very interested to see that. I, I'm going to go three and zero as well. This one, of course, the Celtics game will be at home. That's a, a bonus for the bucks this week, as opposed to their last one. So I'm going to go three and zero. we'll see how they fare. Uh, but, and we will also hope that you have a great, fantastic week ahead uh thankfully we wanted to stay up quite so late for bucks games this week i am quite uh I, i'm going to quite enjoy that and getting to bed on time so uh subscribe to the podcast share it with your friends check out all of our stuff on brewhoop.com a uh, quick plug for an excellent excellent article that patrick casey put up on our website uh, uh basically uncovering a, a previously unknown at least to me and i think a lot of people uh, Giannis and his mother performance in a australian movie Dead Europe. Uh, really awesome stuff. Check that out on brewhoop.com. And then of course, uh, read Riley's Monday morning media roundup and everything else we got on the site. So um, for Adam and Riley, I'm signing off. Thanks for listening.